turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read the same portion that I read last week from verse 8 to verse 20. And we're going to just look at the second half today. As I said we would last week, we looked at the first half of this portion last week. We're going to look at the second half this week. Uh, it's a wonderful portion from verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father, I pray for your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would bear much fruit in our lives. And I pray that you would help this morning that I might communicate well and set people free, that we might live as you want us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just a brief reminder, and I'm going to take two minutes to do this, of what I said last week. Last week we had a look at the first half of these verses. Uh, Paul's appeal to these uh, Christian friends of his not to go back to a legalistic a religious view of life. And he appealed to them, and basically he said, what is at stake is your joy. If you go back to religion, you're going to lose your joy, and your joy is at stake. Don't put yourself once again back under the slavery of legalistic living. It's a slavery. It's a tinnery in your life. Once God has set you free from that, don't put yourself back under legalism. Don't allow that to push in on you. Your joy is at stake. Don't become a slave again. The works are never going to save you, and particularly if you try and live by a moral code, it's going it's to be a tyranny in your life and you're going to lose your joy. And so that's what I, I basically shared last week. And I started with two introductory comments, and I just said first that Paul faced the same challenge that we face today. It was a challenge for Paul to communicate the gospel effectively to his culture. And for us, that's a challenge that we still uh, have to this day. How do we effectively communicate the gospel to our culture? How do we, in a world that is completely upside down, at the moment there's the biggest migration of people since the Second World War, trying to get into Europe, how do we communicate effectively in that kind of context? How do we help those that are desperate with their lives because of situations that the, the, their own countries are in? What do we do? How do we respond? How do we, how do we preach the gospel and live the gospel in that context? It's a great challenge. Well, I want to say to you that Paul had the same challenge in his day. And so I said to you in verse 12, what did he say? He said two things. He said, become like me 
as I have become like you. And he was a master at communicating the gospel. So the first thing he says, and this is what I said to you, is that we have to learn to be culturally flexible in order to communicate the gospel to our, our world. We have to learn what is cultural and what is, not, what is not the gospel so that we can communicate the message of Jesus effectively to our culture. And there are some things we have to unlearn. There are some things that we have to relearn in order to do that. So we need to become culturally flexible without compromising the gospel. Secondly, I said, we need to live transparently. That's what Paul did. So you could say both of those things. Become like me because you've seen how I've lived. You've witnessed how I've been in good and bad times. And I've tried to become like you. I've tried to uh, learn your environment. I've tried to learn how you've grown up. I've tried to learn from you so that I can communicate effectively to you. Those two things I said as introduction last week. And so there's one other comment I'd like to make this morning before I get into the into the context of the message, in terms of what Paul says. It's another general comment, I suppose. He says this, uh, that he was ill, and because he was ill, he was able to preach the gospel to him. So I want to say to you thirdly, that true gospel ministry looks for opportunities and hardship. True gospel ministry looks for opportunity and hardship. Every problem becomes an opportunity for the gospel. (laughs) And he, that's what Paul says. He says, when I, I didn't plan to come to you, but I got ill. And because I was ill, I preached the gospel to you. And God used that. And an amazing thing happened in that community because of an illness that Paul had to endure himself. And so I, I do need to take a little diversion here before I get into the content of my message. Because these verses do confront us with one of the most challenging and troubling parts of Christian theology, of Christian teaching. Namely, that God allows difficulty, God allows suffering in, of the world into our lives as Christians. God does. And... Um, I think there's a move right now in the broader church where people are trying to say that God doesn't really want us to suffer because of the grace of God. Because of the cross, He took all our suffering upon us and we don't have to suffer in this world at all. And we shouldn't be suffering as Christians. I want to say quite kindly that I find that a white middle class view of the Scripture. Why do I say that? Because there have been Syrian Christians persecuted and they're fleeing their country amongst all those other migrants that are coming. There are loads of Christians in, the, in those communities. Is there not, does that not apply to them, that God doesn't want them to suffer? <laughs> no, sorry, my friends, I don't want to be unkind. I think it's a very white, affluent, middle-class view of the gospel when we say God doesn't want us to suffer. One of the most meaningful verses for me, we sang this morning. This has become an anthem in our lives for Helen and I. In all things, both good and bad and indifferent, God works together for good for those that love Him. In all things. That means, even in illness, God can use it for good in our lives. And here is the thing. Paul Hundreds of lives were changed through his life, through his ministry, and enormous good was brought about for a whole community, a whole collection of people in Galatia, because he got sick. Isn't that amazing? God works all things together for good. And so, can I say again kindly, God does not promise to bless Christians by removing suffering from our lives. It's not part of, not part of his plan for us. I don't fully understand it always, but I know it's true. 
on the weight of Scripture, I know it's true. And secondly, I know it's true from the experience of my life. And can I just ask you here, since you came to know Jesus, is there anybody here that has not experienced a hard circumstance or difficult thing that they've had to walk through? Anybody here? Of course not. None of us can put up our hands. Why? Because God uses all things, good things, bad things, indifferent things, to work together for His plan in our lives so that over the course of our lives and through the good things, the bad things, and the indifferent things, we might all become more like His Son, Jesus. That's His plan. That's the destiny of His plan for our lives. And so, Jesus suffered... Not so that we don't have to suffer at all, but through every circumstance, we become more and more like His Son. That's Christian doctrine. People, some people don't like it, but that's what the Christian doctrine, that's what the Bible teaches. Sometimes that involves our circumstances, like Paul's illness, uh, and he brought many people to Christ through that illness and great influence in Galatia. And it's also true that at other times the God that the, the good that God brings into our lives is in our character. He uses difficult things in our lives to shape and mold our character. My example again would be Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul talks about, you know this well, he talks about this great, unnamed, painful thorn in his life that he prayed many times that God would remove and God didn't remove. Yeah? And in spite of having this thorn, this unnamed thing that was a pain in his life, in spite of having that, God used it for good. Why? Because he says, in verse 7 of uh, chapter 12, he says, that that thing humbled him. In fact, his exact words are, it kept me from becoming conceited. It kept me from becoming conceited. You know, what he's trying to say is, It's very hard to become puffed up and proud and to look down on people and say, aren't I doing well when you are going through a hard time? (laughs) Isn't it? When you're going through a hard time, it's very hard to kind of become conceited and look down on anybody else. When things are going well, we tend, our, our, our sinful nature tends towards saying, aren't I the bee's knees? Aren't I doing well? Thank you, God, that you've blessed me. We tend to be like that. And so Paul says, God God allowed this thorn in his life so that he wouldn't be conceited. And what does he say? He found more than ever that God spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so he had a bigger vision of the grace of God. He He had a bigger understanding of the grace of God because of this difficulty in his life that he had to live with. He says also, he says, um, it strengthened me, verse 9. His exact words are, that Christ's power might rest on me. Yeah? He, so he's learning these things, this unnamed painful thing that he's got to walk through in his life that God is not taking away. He's learning humility. He's learning not to be conceited. And he's learning above all things that the grace of God is sufficient for him. And that's what he concludes with. He says, um, my grace the unmerited love of God for you and I is sufficient. And he learns that at a deep level in his life. My grace is sufficient for you, whatever your circumstance. The gospel is amazing. And so there's this relentless sense of weakness in Paul's life. And whatever the cause of that illness and weakness, um, it brings him to this deeper dependence on the grace of God. And I believe God does that for all of us. And when things are going well, I want to rejoice with you and say, 
yes. When things are tough for you, I want to stand as your brother and pray with you, lift up your arms, and together we will understand the grace of God is sufficient for us in good times and in bad times. It's also very, thirdly, it's a great reminder that in life and ministry, nothing really works according to our neat laid out plans. (laughs) Isn't that true? Life sometimes just doesn't happen how we've planned it. Ministry doesn't help uh, often happen how we've planned it. And I'm not saying we mustn't plan. I'm not saying we mustn't have a a strategy of where we want to go. But what Paul learned in in this circumstance is a lesson that I think we need to learn, that as best as our plans are and the things that we lay out and trust God for, at the same time we have to hold them lightly and be very relaxed and willing to let God edit our plans as He sees it's necessary. And so... um, I'm sure that if I asked you, many of you here would have personal examples of how God worked through your life or in the lives of those around you through mistakes, through disasters, through um, things that were troubles, through uh, plans that didn't work immediately, and still he brought good out of that in the most amazing way in your life. I can tell you dozens of stories of how God has done that in my life. So there are three introductory comments for you. Just remember them as we continue to look at uh, this this portion together. And then I want to just zero in on those last kind of verses now. And I want to look, the title of my message this morning is The Relationship of a Pastor with People. Paul, and we can learn from this relationship here that Paul has with this church, the relationship of a pastor with a congregation and how it works, okay? Isn't it interesting that Paul lands on this verse and he says, Have I now become your enemy? Have I now become your enemy, the pastor? Am I now your enemy, the people? How does that work? Well, let's have a look this morning. We, uh, we know that they'd received him warmly. We know that he says, although he was ill, they didn't treat him with contempt. And it's interesting because scholars have had a look at this for many, many hundreds and thousands of years. What was the thing that Paul was struggling with and, and, and how did it affect him? And we don't know what it is, but there have been various theories um, along the way, and one of the things was that it actually disfigured him, that he actually was ugly as a result of this, of this um, disease, that somehow his face was disfigured, and, and certainly uh, you, we know from this portion that his eyes were affected, that he couldn't see properly after he had this, um, this illness, and yet they still received him as Christ Jesus. They received him with an openness. It's interesting to me as I was just um, thinking about it. How much emphasis there is in our culture on people being really cool and good-looking, even in the church. Have you ever noticed that? It's all about being cool and good-looking. Even the pastors are all very buff. They spend more time in the gym than they do in the Word of God. How does that work? And uh, very, very always on Facebook and Instagram, just letting everybody know how cool they are. It wasn't like that for Paul. Very uncool person, Paul. Couldn't see properly. You know, George, Whit- George Whitfield was one of the greatest preachers that we've ever known in this um, nation. He was so squint, people didn't even know that he was looking at them. His eyes were like this. So when he preached, people didn't even know where he was looking at. I think we have to lose some of the cool and we have to get back to the content of what is being preached and the liberty of the message of Jesus more than anything else. 
So in spite of this disfigurement, despite of this kind of ailment that people didn't even want to necessarily look at Paul, he still preaches the gospel, and he says, you received me even as Jesus amongst you. And there was great joy in that, and many people were saved. And then, now we come to this point in verse 15, where there's this hostility between Paul and the people. And he's saying, have I become your enemy? What's happened? What's happened to all your joy? First you received me well, and now it's like, I'm your enemy. What's going on? Paul is saying. Well, he could have said it in another way, uh, but he, he reinforces it again. He says, I don't hold anything against you, verse 12. But what Paul is really saying, he's really saying this. He says, what good, he's really saying, what good has come of these guys coming into the church? These Judaizers, the ones that are saying you must live as a Jew. What good has come through their influence in the church? Is, has their teaching brought joy into your life? Has their teaching brought trouble into your life? What's in, has it encouraged happy relationship in the church? Or has it caused you as the people that are so saved and the people that are preached to that received me warmly and that now I've become your enemy? That's what Paul is saying. He's really bringing a challenge to the Judaizers as, as well. And uh, in fact, he says um, that you loved me initially so deeply that you would have gouged out your eyes. You would have given them to me. If you could, that's how much you love me. What's happened to that love? What's happened to that joy? So what has changed? Well, very simply, we know it's an issue of doctrine. And why I would like to preach this message this morning is that so often problems in churches are issues of doctrine. Are issues of doctrine. And so he's trying to set these people free. He's trying to get the law off the people. He's trying to set them free. And these other guys are coming to the church and trying to put law on people. Say, don't do that. Dress like this. Eat that. And there's this law that's coming into the church. And Paul is preaching the radical grace of God. And so what he's really doing in these verses, he's saying to the Galatians, look at yourself. Why have you become so critical of me? And I believe that we start to make progress, spiritual progress as a community, when we can start to look into our own hearts and we can actually start to be honest about what really motivates us and really makes us tick. That's when we start to make progress. And I found this over many years of being involved. I've been involved in three churches. One as a student in Durban, a great church. I was there for six or seven years. I was then at another church in Johannesburg for over 10 years. And I've been in this church now 15 years. And I found this. Whenever there's hostility in a church, it's normally a sign of guilt. That people are guilty about something. And so this is what Paul is trying to get these guys to say. He's, he's trying to say, why don't you have a look at what you've done and how you've responded? And since these guys have come into your lives, are you going forward or are you going backwards? Do you have more joy or do you have less joy? Are you stronger or are you weaker? What is the fruit of the message in your life? Is it liberty or is it bondage? <laughs> what was the fruit of my message, he's saying? Did I bring you joy and freedom or did I, put, did I bring you legalism and bondage? And I think we would do well as God's people when we are listening to the mode of preaching that is available on the internet and in various forums, what fruit is the message bringing into our lives? Is it joy? Is it freedom? Is it more of Christ? Do we see Him more clearly? 
I can't ever tell you what to listen to, the preaching you want to listen to, but I can say this. If it's not preaching the gospel, if it's not bringing joy, liberty, freedom, the grace of God, the kindness of God, if you're not understanding Jesus more fully, if you listen to the message and you come away with the unease of feeling guilt and fear, I want to say to you, stop listening to that preaching. It's not good for you. It's not the gospel. The gospel always brings joy, freedom, liberty, kindness, patience into your life after you've heard it. You always feel stronger afterwards, not weaker. And um, Paul acknowledges, he's so honest, he acknowledges this in the portion that the relationship that he had with his people is breaking down and he's concerned about it. But he doesn't give up on their friendship. Notice that? He doesn't give up easily. He says, no, I'm going to stand. I'm gonna, this is worth fighting for, this relationship I have with these people. And I love Michael Eason, our dear friend, who says, um, the law and rules always produce quarreling. The law and rules always produce quarreling in the local church. The Holy Spirit leads us to the kingdom of love. Yes? So when we walk by the Spirit, we are walk into the kingdom of God, and we continue walking into His kingdom of love. So I'm trying to encourage you this morning that as we as a church go forward, that we would navigate our relationships wisely in the church, full of grace, full of truth, listening to the right thing, which is God's heart for us. All right? Second thing I want to say, or third, third thing that I want to say, is that unlike this love that these Judaizers were said that they had for church, for the church, Paul's love was sincere. And this is how I want to define it for you this morning. He says in verse 17, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you might make much of them. And this is where I I, I preach out of the ESV because I I like the translation better. But I do like the New New International Version here. If you've got an NRV Bible, it says this. It says that um, translation, They are zealous to win you over that you might be zealous for them. That's what the NRV says. They are zealous for you to win you over that you might be zealous for them. For, you, for them. And the, the phrase zealous to win you over literally means to puff up, to build up, to puff up. So we could translate the verse like this. They are flattering and making much of you that you will flatter and make much of them. That's what he's saying. He's saying that's what the Judaizers are trying to do. These super spiritual moralistic types. They're in the church, they're flattering you to, so that you would make much of them in return. So in other words, they're trying to make a good impression. They're showing interest in the church, but Paul is saying it's not really love. What he's trying to say to them is that he knows that the concern that they have for the church is not real. He says that they really want people to be converted to their point of view, and that's why they're loving these people. That's what he's saying. He's saying they are loving you, but they're loving you because they want you to become their converts. They want you to throw off the grace message that I'm preaching you, and they want you to embrace legalism. And if you are converted to their point of view... They are loving you. That's what he's saying. And I have found over many, many years of three experiences in different churches, besides the pain of obvious gross sin, where a pastor falls financially or a pastor has an affair, that is obvious and gross sin that destroys local communities. And when we go through that in the church, we've had, uh, in the years that we've led this church, a number of people have gone through painful divorces. It all, it's never a good thing for the children or for the people going through it. And it always is painful for the whole community. But that's an obvious thing that you can deal with, in a sense. I have found that much more stressful than that, much more 
uh, ongoingly sapping, energy sapping than that is disunity that comes from people trying to pull in different directions theologically. Whether it's a, a different opinion about a ministry style or a minist- uh, an opinion of how the Holy Spirit works or whatever the issues are, those things are incredibly stressful to handle as a church community of a long period of time. And I find personally they are energy sapping. They are the worst kind of stress that you can experience in a church community. And so what Paul is saying, and we can learn from Paul's experience, because uh, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, the vast majority of people that come into local churches are a great blessing. And we certainly have experienced that over the years. The vast majority of people that are involved in local churches are a great blessing. But there are some that are not. <laughs> and that's, we've just got to be honest, that's how, that's how it is. There are some people that are are not blessing to the local church. And Paul is speaking about a group of people in this context in Galatia who are not a blessing to the local church. And so he's saying, these guys have come in. They're saying we really love the church. We love God's people, but they don't really. They're just trying to get people converted to their theology, to their ministry style, to their way of doing things. And I have found that over the years, that I have seen people come into our church and say, we really do love God's people, but what they really want is their point of view to be um, implemented in the church. They're really looking for their little ministry emphasis or theology to be put into the local church. And if it's not, if you say no, every single one of them has left, and I've never seen them again. How does that work? (laughs) Oh, we really love you. We really love the church. But if you disagree with me, I'm out of here. Paul's saying that kind of love is not real love. That's not the kind of love that a pastor has for his congregation. In fact, Paul says the giveaway is that the people, the super spiritual group, the giveaway that they don't really love the church is that they love Paul to his face, but when he's gone, their love disappears. That's what he says. He says, um, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I'm with you, my little children, He's telling them, he's saying, be sharp, this is what's happening. <laughs> These guys are flattering you when I'm around. Oh, Paul, it's great to have you, great to see, great. When I'm not around, gone. Love disappears. My own agenda starts to go. That's what he's saying. So are there five little things that I think we can learn from this? Can I just say, put my little caveat in here? I'm not accusing anyone in this church of anything. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with how the church is going, and I only feel your love, all right? So this is not, I've, got no, I've got no other agenda. I'm just saying this is what Paul is going through, and we would be wise to learn some lessons so we can identify things and say, no, it's not where we're going. We have one of our values, above all things, unity. Why? Because we've learned through pain of disunity what it's like when there's not unity. So we want unity in the gospel, all right? You trust me? I'm not angry with any one of you. I can look at every one of you and say I'm not angry with any one of you, all right? But here are five things we can learn from Paul's um, experience with the Galatian church. First, it is good and necessary that there's genuine love between a pastor and the church. But it must be true. It must be genuine affection. That's the first thing. Paul loves these people. And he's helping us to see in this portion what true love is, what true affection is between a pastor and his congregation. Secondly, that we need to learn to be truly gracious with each other. 
Truly gracious to people. What does that mean? It does not just a matter of showing people love and affection to get converts and to see the church grow. That, Paul is saying, if you love, as a pastor, if you love like that, just to see people saved so your church can grow, it's not love. It's not the kind of love that God has for us. It's not the kind of love we should have for each other. All right? In fact, I'm going to land on something that you might find surprising. I do not think, uh, I'm going ahead of myself, but I do want to say it now. The biggest thing in churches is not just to see people saved. It's not. I don't believe it was Paul's heart. Did he see many people saved? Thousands. Was it the primary thing that he aimed for? No, it wasn't. I'll talk about that more just now. So this affection must be true between the past and the people. Secondly, we must be truly gracious and show real love even when people don't do what we want them to do, what we think is the right thing or wise. We still love people. Kindly, affectionately, patiently. (laughs) Thirdly, true love always allows people to be themselves. It doesn't insist that all people become the same. It doesn't try to shut people off from people that are different from them. It doesn't hold on to people with jealousy. It's generous. It's open-handed. God, that we would live like that by the power of your Holy Spirit. They would be open-handed with people. Wouldn't hold on to them. These are my people. I don't know how many times I've heard that as a pastor. You go into into a pastor's meeting and um, someone knows that there's someone from their church that's been visiting your church and they say, oh, if one of my people is visiting your church. I can honestly say before God, I've never tried to steal anyone's sheep. Ever. But at the end of the day, we are God's people, aren't we? And so God gives us, we love And this is what I want to say for Paul. The greatest aim of Paul's life, the greatest desire for Paul, for his people, for the church, is to see Jesus formed in them. Not just to see people saved. He wants to see Jesus formed in the people that God has given to him. And that should be our our greatest desire too. He says, verse 19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's the good, a good picture, an unlikely picture, but a great picture of what it's like, the love between a pastor and the congregation. He's saying, I am like a woman giving birth. I'm always in pain. I'm anxious. There's an energy that I'm putting into this. I'm distressed in some way until I see Christ in you, until I see Jesus on the inside, until I see you changing and becoming more and more like Jesus. That is the greatest desire of my heart as a pastor, Paul is saying, to see Jesus formed in you. So, so many churches, it's all about the numbers, all about how big is the congregation. Well, it's good to have a big church, and I want a big church. Let me say it straight up. But it's about Jesus being formed on the inside of us. That's what Paul says. And so, it's not about seeing people saved. It's not about growing a big church. It's not about putting on a really perfect show on Sunday to impress people. It's not about counting your follows on Facebook or social media or Instagram, whatever it is. It's about Jesus being formed on the inside of us. That's what Paul says. He says that is the energy with which I get up in the morning to see Jesus inside formed in your life. We do well to remember that lesson. And I put it to you as we um, serve together in this family, this wonderful church, let the main thing be the main thing. (laughs) 
And that sounds like really a little cheesy phrase, isn't it? Let the main thing be the main thing. And what is the main thing? I've just told you what the main thing is. That we would help each other to see Jesus formed on the inside of us. That's the main thing. All this other stuff is good. And I love church. I love the, how church works. I love, I love visiting people, eating together. I love all that stuff. But the main thing is Jesus on the inside of us. It's good to, wor- to worship. It's good to pray. It's good to see God healing people. But the main thing is Jesus on the inside of us. Let the main thing continue to be the main thing. And that means that you and I encourage each other from week to week in our small groups, wherever we can, I'm going to help Jesus being formed on the inside of you. I'm going to do all I can to encourage you so that your relationship with Jesus is more and more sweet, more and intimate, more, more and more lovely. That's what it's about. And I put it to you, if we all commit ourselves to becoming more and more like Jesus... You know what's going to happen through our lives? Many people are going to get saved. We won't have to aim at people getting saved. They will get saved. Why? Because we are becoming more and more like Christ. Christ is being formed on the inside of us. And because people can see Jesus, they're going to say, what is that thing that is different in your life? And we can point them to Christ and they will be saved. Yeah? Are you still my friends? After this. And the last thing, I'll close with this. Paul longs for personal contact. Paul longs for personal contact. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm confused, I'm perplexed about you. It's worth saying that the apostles only wrote letters because they couldn't be, they didn't have easy jet. They didn't have easy transport, did they? It's so easy for us now. One hour flight, Helen's in Dresden, just like that. 50 bucks or whatever it cost. Paul, for them, getting around the Mediterranean was a big deal. And you can see now with all the stuff that's been happening with these immigrants coming from Africa, what a big deal it is to get in a boat and just get across the Mediterranean. That's what it was like for Paul every time he traveled. It was a big deal. We forget that. And so, because it was so hard to travel, because they couldn't be everywhere all at once, it wasn't easy for them, they wrote letters to encourage. You can see in 2 John and 3 John that John also had that sense in his life. I want personal contact with you. I long to be with you. I want to be with you, but I can't just write this letter. And so Paul would have much preferred to be face to face with his friends in Galatia. And I want to say to you, that's love. That's true love. Face to face as much as is possible. True love doesn't try and try and deal with people at a distance. And so that should be the heart of every Christian and every Christian leader, that any preacher, and I include myself, should love people more than they love preaching. Yes? We should love each other more than we love what we do. That's what I was trying to say to you. All this stuff, that's great to do, but actually it's about people. It's about loving people. It's about our hearts being open towards each other and Jesus. And so I want to leave you with this little challenge that as we continue to see this church grow, that it's, we're not trying to just gather a fan club of people that think uh, we're doing a good job, or that this is a nice church, or whatever. We, we really want to be those that are striving with all the energy inside of us to help others in the walk with Jesus, and see Christ formed on the inside of all of us. That's what it's about. That really is what it's about. And I trust that you're encouraged this morning as we consider these things. And Paul says he does all of that so that people might grow up, 
become sons, not babes anymore, but sons with the full inheritance that God promised through Jesus for all of us. Man, it's a wonderful adventure that we can have with each other. Amen? So, I do want us to break bread this morning. Uh, having said those things, um, and let's give thanks for each other as we do that. And secondly, I do want to ask that we, if you are physically ill this morning, I said initially, I've got faith to pray for the sick this morning. I felt just stirred to pray for the sick. So if, if you are in, ill in any way while we're breaking bread, I'm just going to go to behind that table there. I, I, I will, I'd like to pray with you, with the ministry team, the guys that are on the ministry team this morning. We're just going to pray for healing if you need healing. Otherwise, we're going to break bread as we normally do. And why don't you just, uh, I can't force you, but it would be great for you to meet someone you don't know. And just pray a blessing on them as people are joining the community of believers. And uh, get to know somebody else as you break bread together this morning, all right? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to break bread. And I'm going to ask the worship guys to close our meeting before we have some coffee, all right? But um, let's trust for the Holy Spirit to continue to minister to people this morning as we do that. So I'm going to pray. Father, I want to thank you for your church. I want to thank you for amazing examples of men like Paul who selflessly gave themselves over the course of their whole life to see your kingdom come and to see churches healthy and established uh, we just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live in the same way without um, focusing on the wrong things, but that you'd help us by the power of your Spirit to focus on the right things that we might bring liberty and freedom into each other's lives. And so I pray, Lord, for, for this wonderful church community. Thank you for everyone that you've added, you're adding. And, and we pray, Lord, that we would be those that with all energy labor like Paul did to see Christ formed on the inside of us of each other. There will be those that lift up each other's hands and help each other as we walk together through our lives with Jesus leading us. And so I pray, Lord, as we break bread, that you would renew friendship, that you would encourage us in our relationships with each other. And we are so grateful, Lord, that you are knitting hearts together. And we thank you, Lord, that we are part of your church, your family. And we trust you, God, that as we do this simple thing this morning that you refresh us on the inside again. And we remind ourselves that we need your, your blood, we need your body. We thank you for that song that we sang, that because of the cross, so many things are available to us. Healing, wholeness, everything that you promised to Abraham through Jesus, we can receive as sons. And we remind ourselves of that this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would move mightily as we pray for the sick, that we would see healing. And we trust you, the great healer, to heal us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.